So I probably listened to more than 30 earnings reports this week from AutoZone, Petco, Best Buy, Intuit, Nordstrom, Ralph Lauren, Snowflake, Nutanix, Dell, Express, Macy's, Dick's Sporting Goods, many more. Uh, I also got to listen to management teams from companies at a tech conference. So you have Google, Roblox, Snapchat, um, Datadog, and, and many others. Welcome to Inside Scoop with Sean Emery. Every week we are examining something new, bringing you closer to companies, sectors, and themes. This recording should not be construed as a substitute for personalized individual advice from Avery and Company or any guests on the show. This is for educational purposes only and not intended to make an offer or solicitation for any companies or securities mentioned. With that, let's get on with the episode. So this is a fundamental Fridays coming to you most Fridays. We will have leading guests in some cases. However, the emphasis is what happened fundamentally that week. That is what matters. Uh, We will have it on our YouTube channel, Apple Music, Spotify podcast. It's called Inside Scoop. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss any of those as they come in. So I picked three main events for today, and that's Zoom Earnings, the strength of their enterprise business, Snapchat's casually lowered guidance at the tech conference, and then the haves and have-nots of retail. Uh, But first, given this is an earnings week, an all-earnings week, I think it's important to step back and think about how we think about earnings and assessing them. So there's really different calls we focus on, or earnings calls, right? There's companies we own, there's companies we follow, and then there's companies where we're just listening in order to get a more complete understanding of the industries and companies around us. So let's start with the companies we own. And this is what we do. Uh, So we're constantly looking to gauge our thesis uh, that we've established already. Uh, and that thesis is around three to five years out versus what is happening today. We have our dashboards that we create. Many of you have seen them already. They have some of the key metrics that we think are important to understanding, engaging the underlying trends of these businesses. Now, every company is different. There's no cookie cutter metric for every company. Uh, one thing I believe is important is we do not watch after our stock performance uh, before we make any sort of kind of clear assessment of what we believe about the quarter. Uh, kind of the rationale behind that really is we believe the stock price is highly emotional in many cases computerized uh, and simply creates for our own opinion is unintentional views of the health of a business. So again, it could be good or bad in terms of the reaction, but that doesn't ultimately tell you the state of the future thesis of your business. So maybe they beat a quarter, the stock moves higher, but the key indicators we track aren't as constructive to the long-term thesis. That would be obviously something that is a negative. Um, We go through the filings. So obviously, they put their 10Ks out of its annually, their 10Qs for the quarterlies. Um, we listen to the earnings call. We create a list of questions for follow-ups as we have follow-ups with the companies either that day or the day after or a couple of days after. Uh, very rarely, and I, and I repeat, rarely does a single quarter impact our three to five-year views. It's really the compounding effect of several quarters that really can dictate your or change your views, uh, good or bad. Uh, next, let's talk about companies we follow. Uh, it's very similar to what I just uh, referenced, which is companies we own. I mean, we're, we're following dashboards and, and, and things like that. But I mean, these are companies on the uh, uh, list of investment candidates, right? So we're still trying to understand the stories. Uh, we're trying to understand how these management teams articulate the vision and views of their business. And the main difference is um, whether we believe the story is either changing for uh, the better or worse in terms of the thesis that we are lining out. Um, and there's valuation uh, concerns that you're always uh, 
uh, taking into consideration as well. Lastly, in many cases, and it's just as important, I can't even tell you how many earnings calls we listen to uh, of, a, of a bunch of companies where we have zero interest in, in, in terms of an investment perspective. It's important to kind of step back and, and look at other realities and understand the health of all the, the dynamics that are happening around us. This week, as an example, I listen to America's Car Mart, uh, 24 minute earnings call, 2x speed, 12 minutes in total, uh, AutoZone. Uh, why? Why? Why were we listening to that? Well, the auto market, I think, is an important distinction of what's going on in inflation, uh, and it's a very credit sensitive uh, industry. And just trying to understand what's going on there. Uh, Petco. I listened to Petco this week. Why would I do that? Well, the entire pet industry benefited from COVID, and we want to gauge where that stands today. What's the health and dynamics there? So that is some of the key thought process around earnings season in general. Again, this is earnings week. Okay, so with that, let's jump into key earnings and notable headlines from this week. Zoom. So let me cut to the heart of many. Not everyone is a Microsoft customer. Not everyone wants to be one. Zoom continues to win because they have a best-in-class product. They are now expanding their product portfolio. And this week, we learned a lot about what is happening there from an earnings perspective. Uh, we spoke with the team after it with a follow-up call. Um, and there's a lot to uh, look at there. To be full disclosure, we are investors in Zoom here over the last uh, kind of several months to six months. But again, when we look at the earnings report, Zoom's enterprise business is growing 31%. And yes, Zoom's CFO, Kelly Steckelberg, she said, and I quote, Zoom's enterprise business is not seeing any weakness from macro events. And what does that mean? So this is the power of a subscription revenue business. This is the power of thinking long term. These are strategic buyers making strategic decisions around what their communication platforms will look like, uh, not tomorrow, but yes, five, 10 years from now. Uh, and that's important. So again, when you are looking at this company, I think one of the driving kind of uh, thesis has to be around for them to succeed long-term, they need to continue to broaden their platform. Single product vendors rarely win. And they don't win long-term in software where the barriers of entry are lines of code. You know, Zoom knows this. Uh, they've, they've been fairly explicit about it. And if you watch or read our monthly bulletins and you have seen the efforts from Zoom to build out their communications platform, they launched Contact Center, which is a product for sales support agents to really communicate uh, with customers and, and, and employees and, and, and anyone that's reaching out to them. Um, they launched Zoom Sales IQ, which is a plug-in uh, for their Zoom meetings business and intelligently kind of analyzes your Zoom, your Zoom meetings uh, to gauge your interactions. Are you speaking for too long during sales calls? What kind of questions did you ask? Did you say, um, a hundred times? You know, that's an important product for someone trying to understand uh, their sales practice, but also understand, you know, how they communicate. They continue to grow Zoom phone, which is exactly what it sounds like. It's a Zoom phone, it's a phone system. Um, and they also have Zoom chat, which functions like Slack. I guess the biggest difference between these products and kind of what's already out there is that these are in the cloud. Um, so they're all focused on communication within your organization and outside, but in the cloud. And there's this huge rip and replace cycle that is taking place. Um, otherwise, there would be no need for many of these things. So a lot of stuff are moving to software, software that you are not managing the infrastructure as much. Uh, the other uh, the software provider is um, on your behalf, um, whether they're doing it on-prem themselves or doing it through uh, the public cloud. Uh, so Zoom, as they continue to grow, the more the platform serves kind of the needs of many. So eventually, this means more upsell, less churn, 
stronger margins due to cross-sell. Uh, now, they have to execute clearly on, on many of these things, but the green shoots, I think, this week are there. Let me break down some of the data points that they shared. Uh, again, the fundamentals here. Zoom Phone has now crossed 3 million Zoom Phone seeds. That's a big number. Uh, they called out Avis, the owner of Avis, uh, and Budget and Zipcar, their Zoom meeting and Zoom phone customers, they now have 10,000 Zoom phone seats. Uh, so Avis, again, a Zoom phone room customer, a, a meeting customer now has 10,000 Zoom phone seats. Uh, Zoom chat, they did uh, give us uh, uh, kind of a, a use case of a company. They didn't give the name, but it's a Fortune 10 uh, using Zoom chat across 130,000 users. So some traction there on Zoom chat. Again, a Slack-like functionality. Um, we'll see that one. That's we're, we're more uh, uh, focused on Zoom phone and seeing the traction there as that really peripherates across an entire organization in terms of how an organization commute, or communicates internally and externally. Team Health, so the leading uh, physician practice in the US, they now use Zoom meetings, webinar, Zoom rooms, expanded their Zoom phone license across the organization and now added Zoom Contact Center. Now, that last point is important. This product, Zoom Contact Center, was just launched uh, and they listed uh, several major wins this quarter, uh, which I thought was astounding, um, just given the fact that this was just launched and, and the, the size of the deals sound uh, fairly large. Uh, so all in all, there's evidence of the platform building larger organizations taking up uh, more products. They mentioned on the earnings call that over 10% of revenue comes from products outside of Zoom meetings. The number of enterprise customers grew 24% year over year to approximately 198,000 enterprise customers. A uh, couple more stats. They they saw 46% year-over-year growth in the up market with nearly 3,000 customers contributing more than $100,000 in 12-month spend. Um, they raised their full-year cash flow guidance. They grew this quarter and expect to grow this year despite having probably the hardest comparable growth year-over-year uh, year of any company that's out there. Um, so what does this say about software? What does this say about cloud software? I think, generally speaking, large enterprises continue to spend. And the spend around uh, software remains rather healthy in this environment. Okay, and then there was Snapchat. So <laughs> this one uh, was interesting. We were at the, uh, the tech conference or listening to the tech conference. Uh, they threw out a Hail Mary a year ago saying they will grow 50% year over year for the next several years. Um, they were well below that for two quarters in a row. And this week at that tech conference, uh, they casually guided down, took that number down. Um, so let's compartmentalize this for a second, and then we can move on. So first, they're forecasting, I think, uh, in general, uh, for, for quite a while now, has been fairly subpar. Um, a year ago, again, they outlined the 50% growth projections for the coming years. Kind of a bold expectation is set in Q4 of 2021. They were already below this projection. And then in Q1, the same thing, even when excluding the headwinds, they were growing sub kind of 40% pre-Ukraine invasion. And, uh, and, and even before kind of uh, any sort of uh, currency adjustments. Um, so again, they were subpar forecasting already. Second, I think one takeaway was that this is going to uh, have an impact across all of ad tech. And, you know, I think there's some signal there, but the, the reality is that Snap is only 2% of digital ad spend in the US. So they don't exactly reflect digital ad spend broadly. I, again, I think it's a signal for sure, but I don't think we should totally... Um, extrapolate that out across the board. Um, there's clear trends in terms of uh, uh, consumer apps and, and other areas where they're not seeing as much demand, which means they're likely not going to advertise against that. So again, this isn't something that you extrapolate out, but I do think that um, it's important to have in the back of your mind. So 
again, subpar in terms of forecasting their business. It's 2% of digital ad spend. So what you do with that number in terms of extrapolating that out is on you. Um, and we will see as some of the other companies report in, in the next several months. Lastly, on Snap. So they were one of the first to report, and I think this is important, in ad tech. So other companies had about a week, maybe two weeks to analyze the state of ad spending. Uh, when we looked at it, so they reported on April 21st, the US dollar moved around 4% since then, and much more against certain currencies. So you take macro currency, potentially competition from TikTok, maybe Instagram reels, expanding inventory. And back to my point, my first point earlier is they haven't been great forecasters. You put that all into a big hat and you pull out a number. And again, I guess your, your, your main conclusion is that, um, you know, this could be a snap problem or this could be a macro problem. Um, it's hard to, to, to gauge what, what is exactly happening, but that's how we're thinking about it. They reported earlier than everyone, 2% of digital ad spend, and they've been poor forecasters. So we're going to say this is potentially a snap problem with uh, issues on the fringe for others. Uh, and that's really it. We'll know sooner or later uh, what the main issue is uh, when they report in the next couple months. All right. So how about retail? Um, you know, there's a lot of haves and have nots of retail. I think I'll touch on Ralph Lauren, the almighty Abercrombie and Fitch. Uh, there was many others, you know, from Dick Sporting Goods to Nordstrom to Macy's to Express to Best Buy. Uh, I think the main, main conclusion here is that there's quadrants. And that's the focus is categories that saw tailwinds from nesting in their homes. This was things like uh, home furnishing. This was recreational areas like leisure and sports. Then you have the income bracket quadrants, right? Where lower mid-income level received stimulus almost a year ago, exactly to the date. So there's potentially artificial boosts up there. I think if you want to separate where you want to be, it's the worst quadrant are those companies serving lower to mid-income level demographics that sell nesting types of goods. And the clear best quadrant are those selling into higher spend categories where the consumer isn't as sensitive to the price increases uh, and was not uh, impacted by the bump that was received through stimulus. So I think that's how you want to think about it. You know, before jumping into kind of Ralph Lauren and Abercrombie as kind of two examples, I think, you know, inventory is building in retail. Uh, this is a fundamental issue in some of these companies. Companies either ordered too much in some areas, some orders came in late. Either way, there's a supply versus demand imbalance in some of these organizations. And that's also an area that you want to place close attention to right now. This is deflationary overall. So put that into your kind of macro mental bucket as you work through the thought process around that. I think what we saw a year ago was stimulus lifted most boats, but now we're back in an environment where a company's management team, their execution is what lifts the boat. Some companies are sinking back to a reality. So a good example, I think is Abercrombie and Fish versus Ralph Lauren. If you went through the earnings reports and listened to the earnings call, I think you were you kind of felt like you were listening to different companies operating in totally different environments. Now, yes, you can say that they serve different audiences uh, based on their brands, but at the same time, companies made decisions around inventory, around what to sell, where to sell it. Um, we're starting to see who is actually good at managing a business, forecasting, whose products actually resonate, whose brand is truly desired. You know, getting back to the core fundamentals of how retail is sold. Um, as opposed to what's available because of the supply chain and, and who has a stimulus impacts. Now, today isn't to dissect those earnings, but more to articulate what to think about retail today. Because again, I think this week in fundamentals around retail was really around those quadrants that I talked about. What quadrants are winning, what are not? I think that's a pretty good framework. The big tell for many of the retailers uh, in inventory or uh, in, in retail is inventory growth. So Abercrombie grew 45% inventory growth, Ralph Lauren 29%, so about half. Um, what you call is a sales spread, right? It's inventory growth to sales growth. 
that is an, kind of a critical uh, uh, data point to, to continue to track as companies that are over inventory in hopes of kind of maintaining these demand trends uh, may find themselves kind of out of touch with their inventory uh, forecasting. So that's really it. You know, Fundamental Fridays, it's a new series. We'll have it most Fridays. We'll have guests in some cases. However, the emphasis is what happened fundamentally that week that mattered. With that, I'll see you next time.